Good morning, friends. Welcome back to Around the World in 80 Cigars with your host, Nick Hammond. I hope that little bit of music gives you a fillip when it, you listen to it and uh, gives your day a bit of sparkle. It always cheers me up. Um, so let's crack on. Uh, the wind is howling outside. The rain is spattering against the windows. Welcome to spring. Uh, things don't change, do they? <laughs> I have my sad lamp bursting bright white light at me, but I also have my heater going. Um, throwing out a bit of warmth and uh, keeping my feet warm under the desk here as we crack on into 2021 and not a backward step to be taken. Today we have a fabulous chat with um, a wonderful lady who I've been lucky enough to take trips with over the world um, in various places over the years. She runs a spectacularly successful travel PR company from London. Um, and I thought it was opportune timing in that obviously COVID's had a huge impact on the travel industry worldwide. Um, one of my strings to my, one of my many strings to my bow is, is working as a travel and lifestyle writer and I haven't traveled anywhere for over a year. What on earth must it be like to run a travel business that relies on traveling? Uh, and people being able to travel in order to satisfy your clients who are the most spectacular, luxurious and top-end hotels, private islands, resorts and safari companies on the planet. That's the question we're going to put to the lovely Jules Perone today. Um, she's a super, super girl and, uh, and you'll enjoy our chat about all things debauched <laughs> and, and whispering angel wine as well who, of which she is a huge fan and uh, she talks very briefly i think in the pod as well about the uh vines she gave to her dad as a birthday gift and in absolutely classic jules perron fashion that's not enough she now has a small vineyard on the fam family farm in norfolk and is bottling her own wine which i'm told is rather excellent it does not surprise me, but it does uh, give me great joy to see her doing things like that in her supposed spare time. So without further ado, uh, we'll chat a little more at the end about what's going on in and around my world. But for now, sit back with a glass of something and enjoy Jules Perone. JP. Thank you, Nick. Thanks so much for having me on. This is very exciting. What a um, <laughs> we've had some fun travels together uh but new england where oh. else have we been champagne yes we also had the most memorable dinner in um in the chateau at chateau margot <laughs> oh my god that was the best that was has to be one of the best experiences of all time oh it was extraordinary and i will always remember it but i sort of get the impression that you do that sort of thing on a fairly regular basis. Look, I think to go to a wine tasting dinner at Chateau Margot with the owners as their special guests is like another <laughs> level. Yeah. yeah, to be fair, that was special, wasn't it? That lovely room. <laughs> I mean, and, and uh, for, for my listeners, Jules is is the gold seal of um, press trip. If you ever get a press trip across your desk that has the mention of Perone on it, then you leap 
and you take it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, especially if I'm hosting it, because you know you're going to get really good wine. That's oh, the most important no, thing. No, I might... you, have, you have to drink your body weight in Whispering Angel if Jules is there. <laughs> yeah, I might not be so much into my cigars, but I'm definitely into my wine. That's what <laughs> I would say. Um, I remember having a nice cigar with you at in Paris um, when we sat yeah, outside. In Bristol. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What a beautiful hotel. Yeah, that is, um, it's an extraordinary place. You know, I, for me, these hotels like the Bristol are what it's all about. It's about history. It's about character. They're obviously extraordinary places that have had a massive investment over the years, but they keep this kind of soul of why they start, why they were started. And the Bristol was started as this kind of amazing palace hotel. And you feel it now in every part of itself, whether it's, the story of how the staircases were built um, after World War One. You know, in the Bristol Paris, they actually had a an amazing Jewish architect there who then designed the the amazing second staircase. Um, you know, the garden that's just been redesigned. All of it. Do you know? It's just absolutely exquisite. The whole experience. So, yeah, that absolutely. was an amazing trip, wasn't it? Oh, I, I just, I just often wistfully think about strolling around through Paris with you. You know. And we just wandered about, didn't we? We went to the Place de la Concorde and up and down and the Seine. And, and yeah, that hotel was, is, if you ever get the chance to visit, is just stunning. And, um, and, and the staircase, I think it's on my Insta somewhere. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. But that is the sort of magic dream world that you tend to float around in, Jules. And I know it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> there's a lot of hard work that goes on to get you there. Tell us how you, how you got into this game and ended up with some of the most beautiful places on the planet as your client oh okay yeah i mean no i i, I absolutely love what i do i'm i'm like not one day goes by when i don't think that i'm like the luckiest person in the world i mean it's been a lot of hard work but yeah um yeah i love i was i'm a historian i mean i learned history at university of edinburgh i absolutely loved it i always thought right. history was such an interesting thing to learn because you can go in so many different directions with history you know if you've got a sense of where you've come from, it helps you. I, and I really wanted to go into the Foreign Office and I interviewed for the intelligence service. Really? Um, yeah, after six months of back and forth, I then didn't get in. I was devastated. Um, what made you want to do that? Well, I, I, you know, I just sort of wanted to be a kind of not Bond-esque, but I sort of loved the idea of travel, but yeah. travel for kind of, you know, cultural reasons, but sort of on behalf... I, th I, thought, I thought, I think the Foreign Office, the British Foreign Office, there's no other you know, country in the world that has the kind of heritage to our foreign office and the good work that they've done over the years. And, you know, I love reading those kind of historical novels about, you know, be it anyone from spies to diplomats, my brothers in yeah. the army, we're just that kind of family. So I always thought that's the direction I'd go in. And then I didn't sadly get in. Did they tell um, you why not, Jules? No, of course not. <laughs> of course. I mean, the fact that I was going to potentially go into the foreign office, diplomatic service, and I went into PR probably is the reason because discretion perhaps right right <laughs> say no more <laughs> <laughs> i mean could i have gone into something any any different but um no basically i a friend of mine was working in a pr agency and and she said jules why don't you just come and you know, work here and see what you think and i was in need of a job my father had very um, bluntly told me that if I was not earning any money by the time September the 1st came around that I would be paying rent um, right. so I was like oh gosh here we go and and I started working in a PR agency and I just could not believe that my job could be promoting the world's most beautiful hotels 
And, um, you know, within one of the first few trips I did, I went to New York to launch the Mandarin Oriental, to Washington. Wow. Um, I was off to India to do yoga retreat. I was literally like, this cannot be true. Um, and, you know, our industry back then historically was full of a very specific kind of woman. Well, I was going to say that to you, Jules. I mean, the, <laughs> the idea of a, of a, of a, um, a posh-sounding, well-spoken pretty young girl going into PR is not exactly unusual, but <laughs> no, not many but of one, them go on to do what you've done. So what was this? No, I think because, because I had this amazing background in history and other stuff, you know, obviously right. you can sit there going, isn't this a lovely hotel? It's yes. got beautiful design. I love the bathrooms. It's got a double sink, blah, blah, blah. But actually I was like, what's so interesting about this destination, you know, is you know, it's, it's the centenary of some amazing event or let's look at the history of it. Why, you know, why would, why would I want to go to visit this place? It's not just a hotel. It's the whole place. It's the, it's the destination. It's what it offers you. It's the museums, it's the cultural hubs, it's people, it's places, it's nature and all the rest of it. And weirdly at the time, nobody else was sort of thinking like that. I'm not saying right. I was like the only person, but it was just a different, um, view on doing things and promoting things. And I just very quickly then worked my way through a couple of different agencies and then made a decision to set up on my own and launch my agency, Pro National, five years ago. But I've now got a Amazing. team of 40, 42 people in London um, and we kind of cover global that's for incredible. our clients, UK and Europe. And then and then we've got to, we just opened an office in New York. So that's been so exciting terrible timing we opened in april but you know you you if you can survive this you can yeah. survive anything yeah and at the end of the day if you're going to start a, a journey you, you can't expect it to be you know fantastic the whole way can you so at some stage you're going to have some headaches and it's how you deal with them um that's yeah amazing, I mean, look, though, in such I've, a short space of time jules i mean did you start literally just you and then it went mental um, I, I had a business with a business partner before who I realized, um, quite swiftly was not, um, the person I wanted to be in business with. And it right. took me a while to extricate myself, but I took, when we split, I took 17 or so staff and set up on my own. And then we've literally doubled in size every year. So we've oh. literally grown, um, New York was obviously a big deal for us. I think, you know, we're so connected to the States, but in many ways we speak such different languages um, <laughs> that we, you know, I knew if I wanted to break into the Americas, I had to have a, an actual boots on the ground in that market. Um, and, and it's been the right thing to do. And I think it's going to be really successful. It's just, you know, it's difficult timing, but it's, um, it's such a rewarding industry. I can't tell you how great it is. The people are incredible. You meet such phenomenal people through traveling and in hospitality you know think about people in hospitality that you've met they work such crazy hours different mm. you know it's a different world and that's why it, this situation that we're in now is so devastating because these people have given so much and they're the worst affected and we just don't know when you know this this is going to be over or the impact of it on the hospitality industry will be over um you know we're obviously all hopeful but it's tough it's really really tough it is. And, you know, I, I'm used to going about off and about all over the places. Lots of us are. But you especially, I mean, you were literally travelling nonstop. You've got um, <laughs> platinum, this, that and the other on BA. You jump on first class everywhere you go and you work in <laughs> airport lounges. How the hell have you coped with being stuck at your, in your little mouse, heart, mouse house down in Norfolk? <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you know what? I, as much as I have missed that crazy world, I've really enjoyed the moment of standing still and I will treasure it forever. I remember getting to Norfolk last year and it was, you know, pretty dev- I didn't even know if we were going to have a business left. No. But I mean, I just to sort of preempt that, I, I saw this coming. I, you know, I have anticipated for a long time that we were going to get major disruption in the industry. I did not think it would be COVID. I thought it would be actual terrorism. I thought it would be right. a major, major incident, Heathrow or somewhere around the world that, that literally did a 9-11 and stopped global travel. So I had always budgeted for disruption. I just never thought disruption would be this, this invisible terrorist that we have, this COVID yeah. situation, or obviously how long it's gone on for, because it's, you know, being invisible, it is literally impossible to put a timeline on it. But I went out to our clients early in the new year. It was end of February. I was coming back from New York, about to fly to Norway. And I thought, my God, this is going to be really devastating. And this was pre-lockdown. And I remember sitting in Norfolk, opened a very good bottle of wine. Obviously, you get your best ideas when you're having a really good <laughs> bottle of Burgundy. And I thought... I'm going to offer our clients all a fee reduction. And literally everyone thought I was mad. Accountants, fine, you know, you name it. But actually, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's what are you talking? Going... Are you talking 10%? No, God. It, you know, I could, some, some, were, some were 30% off, some were 50. Really? Um, and well, out of and, the blue? Yeah, because, you know, we all knew some, this was going to be bad. We had no idea how come. And I thought if we don't go out there first with this sort of preemptive strike, right. we're going to get absolutely crucified here. And most companies did because what we showed to our clients is that we were thinking of them and we were in this together and we kind of got in there first. So as they were thinking about cuts, we were already a cut that had been done, you know. Okay. Um, so, you know, it it was tough because I, I literally was like cutting off you know, a million yeah. pounds worth of business, uh, you yeah. know, voluntarily. Yeah. And, and, but it really, I will look back on that and I will use it as the most useful lesson of my entire career of generosity paying off in the long term. And Did they all stay with you, Jules. Yeah. No, listen, we had a couple of clients that, that behaved appallingly, um, really? who won't be named, but no. you know, I, um, was I surprised? No. Were they the ones that if you'd said to me, who will one day, you know, screw you up, screw you around, whatever, it would be them. Right. Um, some big names who, you know, should know better with huge financial backing. Um, but I probably, I think we probably kept 85 to 90% of our clients on a reduced revenue. So, you know, wow, that's a result. Um, I think, the, the tragedy is now, right at this moment, we're almost going through what we are going through again in March because yeah. we've got a lot of clients in the Alps. They have not had a season at all. We've got clients who are worried about the summer. Long haul travel is obviously really badly impacted. When are we going to get back to Asia? When are we going to get back to Africa? Um, you know, there's no doubt the desire to travel is there. It's just can you physically get there and can you physically get home? Um, and until, yeah, exactly. And and until that's clear, um, there's going to be a lot of, um, anxiousness about the situation and that's totally understandable. Um, but I think 
you know, what we're really excited about is this extraordinary desire of people to travel. As soon as literally a little door opens, people go mad. Mm. Maldives, you know, November, December was extraordinary because you could travel there. It was all fine. You know, look at what's just happened in Dubai. Amazing. But um, obviously then there are repercussions and all the rest of it. But sorry, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, my six months in Norfolk was a very interesting moment in my life, which I will appreciate forever. And I, um, you know, watching spring, I mean, I, I'm sure anyone based in the UK will remember how fabulous spring was last year. It was like yeah. the gift that kept on giving. <laughs> so yeah. slightly different to lockdown in November and in January. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And well, let's, you know, we're constantly bombarded with the grief and the and the doom and the gloom. And I'd imagine with a certain degree of trepidation, you open the papers each day to see what the next thing is. But let's treat listeners to a little bit of the loveliness of why we love what we do and you love what you <laughs> do. Um, tell me about some of the memories that you must have forged that just come pinging into your mind when you sit back with a glass of wine and think about great, great places and great things that you've seen and I mean you, you know you really have been to some places yeah I'm I'm yeah as I said I'm, I'm extraordinarily fortunate um you know my heart is truly in Africa and I say I actually worked in Africa for a couple of years when I was 17 18 in Zimbabwe and I yeah and I I, I go back there probably five or six times a year now whether it's to beautiful hotels like Babylon Store and then um, Kate Winelands or up to Kenya to do a wonderful circuit up in the northern, um, you know, Samburu region or whatever it is. I, I think there you've got nature and people and space. And for me, it's like all those things combined to just be so, unbel- you know, just, I don't know, the experience for me, you know, sitting out in the Serengeti and with a, with a gin and tonic or whatever it is <laughs> and just watching in the distance some animals, some elephants heading to a waterhole or, mm. you know, sitting and watching a bush baby just bouncing about in the tree as the sun's going down or whatever it is. They're my moments that, like, have got me through the last year. Um, Spiritual, isn't it? I think, yeah, it is. It's, it's incredible. And, like, you know, without sounding utterly kind of cliche, this is what keeps you alive, those moments. Yeah. Um, I, I I love, you know, I've talked about history. I, I love the kind of old school glamour. I mean, you and I did a brilliant trip to New England and, you know, we flew into Boston. We drove down to Rhode Island to watch Hill. We sat in a hotel that had just been restored by a brilliant American man that, you know, had been, got hit by a terrible hurricane in the um, mid uh, 20th century and hadn't had any love and attention on it for a hundred years. And so suddenly we were in this, literally a piece of history um sitting out on the deck looking at this beautiful beach i don't know if you remember nick can you remember that hurricane was coming in and we all thought that that the whole eastern seaboard of the states would be shut down but actually it brought the most incredible weather it was the end of september and 30 degrees (laughs) apart Um, from when we were on the croquet lawn but uh yes apart from when we're on the croquet lawn it was it was competitive match oh totally and you obviously you know went off fishing then we drove to Newport, yes. Rhode Island. We walked around all the mansions, you know, the oh. Vanderbilts, the Astors. You like it's, and then got on that boat from Hyannisport where the Kennedys live. You go off to Nantucket, stay in beautiful little boutique hotels there, learn about the history of, you know, the Quakers and the whaling community and the whaling museum. 
Like those are my favorite places because they're just so interesting. You meet yeah. such fascinating. I love the joy of having a British accent too. Somewhere like the States, you I literally like the doors that it opens just by being kind of British. Um, and, and then, you know, for me, probably in the last couple of years, the places that have like really blown my mind have been like Panama. I mean, really, we got, a, we got approached about a, pro- a project in Panama. Um, about two years ago yeah it would be two years ago and I was literally like I mean it, my opinion on Panama was like Monaco you know a sunny place for shady people it was just yeah. a finance center there'd just been the Panama papers and everything it was all like kind of bad taste to me um and Monaco is probably one of my least favorite places in the world so I um I but this 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 story looks so interesting because it was uh, an amazing man who had bought a an archipelago of islands off the Pacific coast of Panama, really to protect this extraordinary marine environment for, um, uh, yeah, for, for whales and and all the rest of it. And I had never really heard of anyone going to Panama beyond Panama City. No. And so I thought, well, you know what, this is going to be quite interesting. So I flew out there. On my own, I'm always zooming about on my own. It doesn't even worry me. For the first time probably in 10 years, my father was like genuinely really? so freaked out that I was going to Panama. I actually called him. I said, he said, where are you? I said, I'm in Panama. I'm just heading down to the Panama Canal. He said, for God's sake, Julia, of all the places, I don't mind you wandering around in Ethiopia or Zimbabwe on your own, <laughs> but Panama with all those randy sailors that have been stuck on a boat for six months. <laughs> He's like, I'm not happy. I mean, it's such a slick operation down at the Panama Canal. You don't get anywhere near the randy sailors. I bet you don't. But it, no. was, it was amazing. Um, so, you know, what's interesting is, um, if I can just go onto a little Panama tangent, you've got Please. obviously the finance capital of Panama City, and then you've got the old town which is almost totally untouched. I mean, it's a bit like Havana, but even pre-Havana sort of getting the spotlight on it. Oh my God. It's so beautiful, this old Spanish colonial town, the history there. You know, in in um, in our ignorance about it and and lack of interest in it, it's it's been protected. You know, there aren't loads of hotels built. There's a very, very cute little hotel called the American Trade Hotel. Um, But you know, you can literally wander around little jazz bars, little restaurants, um, pretty little guest houses, even the pharmacies and the little shops are just an experience in themselves. And then from there, I flew up to a place called David and then got a boat um, to this extraordinary archipelago, which I have to say was like Jurassic Park. I literally arrived and I was like, I have never seen anything as pristine and beautiful and as remote and raw. And it really was like the Jurassic Park kind of oh, moment of amazing. like, oh my God. And it's it's 16 islands and you there's some, some very, very beautifully designed lodges on just one of those islands. And then over the course of however long you're there, you go and explore the different islands for a different experience. One of them has got thousands of frigate birds. Another one has just got one of the most pristine, beautiful beaches you've ever seen. And they put a couple of sun lounges on there for you and a barbecue and you just have the day on the beach with kayaks and stuff and you oh. know you're you're swimming and there are whale sharks and killer whales and really you're like oh my god those moments are so incredible and so here's the responsibility that we have is how do you protect that place mm. but 
draw in the right people who are going to appreciate it and understand it, but also feel a, a you know protective towards it too, because so many countries just have ruined themselves by like, over tourism now. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I think PR people and salespeople and all of us in the industry have this incredible responsibility now to to think beyond you know our revenue and our businesses and go how do we develop tourism or help this place develop tourism in the right way that's going to be sustainable for the future and also make it um you know keep its it's you know what makes it so fabulous and and obviously part of Panama's joy is its remoteness and you Mm. want it to stay remote and stay very raw um, and not be too polished and you know so I mean I look at countries like Thailand with horror of how some of those islands that you know I backpacked on Koh Tao I remember going back 10 years later and just being so depressed that this really unbelievably beautiful place had managed to sort of self-destruct by over tourism and it's happening all over the world and we all of us have a responsibility to to try and promote things in a responsible way um and that is like deeply on my mind at the moment you know I often think you know it's a tough one especially uh, you, you know where you are that's very much the sharp end of um the environment if you like and you know what we are about as human beings and I believe like you believe that travel is an essential part of human existence I think it's it's you know, great for your humanity, for your um, belief in other cultures and all the rest of it. And I know that you do too. But I mean, so how do we, how do we place that against flying around the world three times every year um, and churning up all the carbon that we do? You know, we're only here for a short time and we want to have a good time, but we don't want to go thinking we've, we've just buggered it up for everyone else, do we? So, I mean, that's a massive question and I don't expect you to answer it completely, yeah, of course. but how do you no, feel about I, that? And listen, I, I also get the kind of, you know, I guess the uh, massive quandary that I'm in of promoting these places and, like you say, flying around the world. I mean, sometimes I'm doing, oh God, 20 flights a month. Is that, Shit. I mean, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, wow. like, listen, we, we as a business offset our carbon footprint all of us and right. we, we we put a huge amount of money into that every year to ensure that we are taking that responsibly but i you know i'm also well aware that that's not enough but i think i think it's about thinking long term yeah the joy the joy of um my clients and what i do is i have access to some extraordinary people doing extraordinary things and most of them have a much bigger um reason for doing what they're doing um, than just a tourism operation. You know, it's Singita in Africa. It's to protect huge tracts of land for future generations. They have a hundred year plan right. on why they are creating a tourism operation in Tanzania, for example, because they are actually protecting the Western corridor of the Serengeti from development, roads being built and ensuring that the animals can migrate up to the Masai Mara through that route. Right. Um, it's, it, I've got this, you know, with a lot of clients who have this bigger purpose and it is a bigger purpose. And, and I'm not trying to sound like they're being evangelical and they look at us as we're single-handedly saving the world. But for me, I only really Important. get excited yeah. now about a client that is going that bit further. I mean, we've just, um, 
had an amazing approach for pieces of new business in the in the Greek island of, of Antiparos. And it's it's a woman who wants to protect this island from going away of a lot of the other Greek islands. And I yeah. love this story. And it's basically a farm with beautiful farmhouses that you rent. And the it's you know it's field to fork food and all the rest of it and you know that is so important that somebody's thinking true. yeah when you think yeah. of the difference that makes over a course of time in you know actually using local produce local people in the right way that's that's a huge step isn't it oh completely and I think um you know what COVID has done in a great way, has accelerated a lot of the changes um, that were coming and also changed our psyche and our values a little bit. So, yeah. well, a lot, not a lot, actually. You know, we're on this crazy hamster wheel of, I've got to go here, I've got to go here, this yeah. is new, I've got to go to this restaurant, I've got to try this, I've got to do that. Actually, it's allowed us all to take a big step back and go, where do I love? Where's important to me? Um, I'm not just going there for the sake of going there. And I think... What we're going to see in the travel space is we're going to see longer trips. We're going to see less trips, but for longer, which has got to be better on the environment, less flying, um, less impact. I think people will stay in places for longer to enjoy them more. We're certainly seeing it on the safari scene at the moment. People were going to Africa for 10 days and staying in three or four different lodges. And actually now they're saying, you know, I might just go to one place or two. Yeah. Um, and just actually really enjoy them a little bit more. I think that's going to be a huge change. Um, and I think that we're going to see that around the world. Um, and I think that's a great thing. That's a really exciting thing, you know? That is. And I, I suppose the other thing is, does that make it then less affordable for other people? I suppose that is the quid pro quo, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't, I don't think this is about... I don't think this is about money. I mean, look, I... My client list is full of beautiful luxury hotels, many of which I can't afford to go to. And I I like to benchmark them by saying, if I had all the money in the world, would I, would I spend my money on this place? And that's how ultimately I make the decision on, are they going to be a client or not? But it's not, you know, unfortunately a lot of the luxury hotels are the ones that have the budget to hire people to promote them and stuff. But actually this isn't about, them and us or luxury and not luxury it's about a it's about a change in psyche and it's about a change in why you want to travel and the people you want to connect with and why you're doing what you're doing um and that might be going up to scotland you know in a on a in an old battered land rover and pitching a tent but going yeah. for two weeks not two days it's it might just be changing our habits a little bit but i don't i don't actually think it's got anything to do with your spend um, it's probably got something to do with a, a, a psyche change and a mentality change on um, how much kind of you want to absorb on any one trip, which yeah. is saying, actually, the best moment of when I went to Venice was when I just sat for a couple of hours and watched people and just didn't run to every single museum and get on a boat to go everywhere. I just took an extra day and I people watched yeah <laughs> you know i my favorite thing about traveling is i love airports i love them you do don't everyone you everyone thinks i'm completely mad i will go to an airport 3 hours early i'll get my laptop out i'll be working but i'll be watching and i mm. that i have missed more than anything in this i know time. what you mean because to me it, no matter how many times i go it's still exciting and uh and it feels like 
well, it feels like you're going, uh, no, it sounds crude because you're working, but it feels a little bit like you're going on holiday. And yeah. so there's that level of anticipation and excitement. And, and this goes on all the time when I'm not here. And that, and that magic still applies, I think, certainly for me. And I think you still love it as well. But Oh, my God, I can't get enough of it. I am... Um... <laughs> I, I just think you see people at their kind of most extreme airports. You've either got yeah. the panickers or you've got the kind of so relaxed doing it, you know, every day on a plane. You've got the sort of super slick city, high flying yeah. traveler. You've got families, up, yeah. you've got arguments, you've got, you know, naughty people clearly going off on a naughty love affair. I just find the whole thing fascinating. And I put my music on, doing a bit of work. You're in your own zone. Oh, it's heaven. So tell us what it's like. What is it like when you get ushered aboard first class and they go, would you like some champagne, Mr. Perrault? <laughs> Look, I am, I, I'm not that spoiled. I've spent a lot of time in the back you of the get on with your work. Some, yeah, seat 68Z right next to the loo, um, which you can't even put the seat back to, you know, in economy <laughs> class. I've done my dues on that. Um, I because of obviously traveling a lot BA I have to say I mean I couldn't I couldn't be a bigger fan of British Airways I love them yeah. I they get so much flack from everyone but they're still for me, great I, yeah you know I see that tail fin as I've come off a really long few days of traveling around and seeing clients and I and I just get I get a bit emotional actually yeah it's um, true yeah it's like coming home isn't it yeah totally and I you know I had I used to have a, an ex-boyfriend who lived in the Caribbean and he gave me not particularly uh, great advice throughout our relationship, but one great piece, which he said, pick an, pick an airline and stick with it. And he said, because I was I was prone to just shopping around to get the best deal. Right. And he said, look, it will benefit you in the long term. He ran a hotel, so he'd traveled a lot. And he's just said, you know, pick an airline that's part of a good alliance, like um, One World, like BA is, and just stick with it because it will pay off. And it has. And I've you know, being a gold card holder on BA for probably, I don't know, 10 years. And and I really get well looked after. So sometimes, you know, my I don't have the budget or the client doesn't have the budget for me to fly long haul in business class. <laughs> Boo-hoo. I'm like, it's not a, no, a but huge deal. And you're doing but 20 I'll flights get, a month, right? Yeah, well, I'll get on a plane and actually BA will say, Miss Prune, will you come up? We've got a seat available or something. I mean, they do yeah. pay you back for your loyalty. Um, or they'll, you know, you're sitting in whatever row it is and they'll bring you a nice glass of wine from up the front or something so I think okay. it's it has really paid off but I also think um the the value that you get when you do get to fly in comfort when you're working is just priceless it, it is priceless yeah I mean I, I simply couldn't fly to Panama for two days come back via Washington for meetings go on to New York and on the way home, stop in, see another client, maybe somewhere else on the way where I've got back to that meetings and do that constantly in economy. You just have a nervous breakdown, you know? You would. And physically and mentally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um if, if um if well not if when all this calms and you you know you're able to travel again, um do you know where your first trip will be? Well, um I'm having a as you know, a tiny little baby in a couple of weeks' time. That's been well, a little lockdown surprise. <laughs> lovely. Another little something just to add to the mix, the lockdown <laughs> yeah. 2020. So baby's coming out, have a couple of couple of weeks off. And then, you know, I need to get to New York. I want to meet my, I haven't met my team in, in the States. So, and I love New York 
so much. We look after the Lowell Hotel there. It's one of my favorite places in the world. It's just full of the most glamorous, gorgeous people. So I'll get there first. That's my going to be my first trip. But then right. um, I want to get out to just see my clients. I want to give them some love and attention. I, I want to see how they're doing. It's been an emotional roller coaster. We've got some amazing new hotels opening in the Mediterranean. We've got a property, um, uh, Occu Ibiza. We've got a beautiful hotel in Mallorca called Canferrata. We've got, um, gosh, a new lodge in Botswana opening called Kijira, which is probably the most exciting new launch for this year in Africa. Yes, it is. Yeah, the brilliant team. Um, But my big trip, which I had planned for last May, which I'd been saving up for for ages, was to go to a place called Bauer Reserve in the Anambas Islands in Indonesia. Wow. Um, which is, uh, I mean, a group of islands that is so special. It's actually got uh, a marine ecosystem that's as, as, as incredible as the Great Barrier Reef. It's a group of islands you fly to um, via domestic plane and then a seaplane from Singapore. You wouldn't even know that they're part of Indonesia. No one's ever heard of them before. And there is a very beautiful, sustainable development there called Bauer Reserve. And in fact, I was on the phone with them this morning, just having a chat, and I was showing somebody a video of it. And they were like, God, if you could literally put your hand now on what you need and want of, you know, remoteness and beauty, natural beauty, but simplicity and kind of well-being, but in a very non-sparse sense, in a kind of just walking on the beach, relaxing, feet in the sand, hiking in the jungle. That is it. Um, so I'm planning. I'm planning that, and um, and and God, so many things for the for later in the year. Um, and I and and all like you know, God, everything. I mean, honestly, Nick, it's too. Norway, I want to get back to. I want to get down on a big, gorgeous road trip to the to France. I need to see Finca Cortesine in Spain and those guys. So there's so much that I want to do. Um, <laughs> I just need I just need to, you know, work out where is possible. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Do you, would you um, ever live abroad, Jules? You know what? I was talking about this yesterday. Um, I would love, I did live, I lived in, as I said, I lived in Zimbabwe for a couple of years and I loved it. Um, I think the, the the one place that I would love to live is actually New England. I really? feel, yeah, I love Boston so much. It's one of my favourite cities. I love their weather. I love the fact they get boiling summers and freezing cold yeah. winters. Yeah. I, 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 that's what the one thing I hate about the UK is this kind of like today, 12 Brown. degrees kind of gray raining yeah, yeah um no exactly it's near yeah, you know it's like ugh. um so new england for me really appeals but i think i've left it a bit late i mean i'm not i'm turning 40 this year it's not that i'm sitting here thinking that you know life is over but it's just my business is here now and yeah. we've got this exciting office in new york um but i i think i love that lifestyle that they have of weekends on the cape and you know all the rest of it um, I'm, I'm not sure I could, I love Africa more than anything. I'm yeah. not sure I could live there. Um, no, I, 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 I mean, I think you've got to be a certain sort of person to live there, haven't you? And that does mean that you forgo a lot of the stuff that we, 
people probably take for granted. I could do it for a while, but I'm not sure I could live there. Yeah. And you know what? In my weird year that we've all had of going, I've got my little house in Norfolk. I live obviously mm. London is home, but I've got a, a cottage on our family farm, which um, is just a total joy. And I just can't wait to spend a bit more time there as well um, over the next couple of years and just, you know, walking on the beach and all the rest of it. I've, I think in this whirlwind, um, I've fallen in love with that place, Norfolk, more than ever before, mm. you know. Um, it's such a delight there and so simple. It is beautiful I and mean, it's a very forgotten corner of of the UK in many ways and because of that, you know, as you say, it's very secluded, you've got those beaches and you get that sudden change in weather where it might be crap like it is here for a while and then suddenly it's the most glorious afternoon and you're 10 minutes from the sea, aren't you, down there? Um, yeah. You'll Although be out there with your it... waders on, messing about with a little one. <laughs> A little one. I always find it funny though. I, you know, it'll be like 25 degrees in London in July and I'll get on the train at King's Cross heading up to King's Lynn. And literally by the time you've arrived at King's Lynn, it's like 14 degrees. And you're like, how? How is it possible? I've gone a hundred miles and I've dropped 10 degrees, but it's just Norfolk. We get such a weird weather system. Um, we've actually got a little family vineyard there, which um, we're developing. Tell us about that. Well, it's, it's all suddenly got rather exciting to be honest. It was a gift I mean, it, from you wasn't it Jules the vine? <laughs> well my father for years had been banging on about this piece of land which he said you know was could be a vineyard so I basically told him to put his money where his mouth is and I bought him some vines for his 60th birthday. Of course that's the cheap bit the actual creating yeah. the environment the deer fencing I mean god the actual managing the vineyard is um is is the expensive part. But it's actually turned out to be incredible. So we've got um, Bacchus Chardonnay Pinot Noir, um, and we had 900 bottles of Bacchus uh, last year, uh, 2019 vintage, which won awards and did so well. And this year we're going to have nearly 13,000 bottles of Bacchus Chardonnay and sparkling Rosé and a rosé, yeah, and we're about to go to market with it, and it's it's honestly going down really well. Um, I mean, it's 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 our family thing. It's it's not we're not perfect on this, but it, but you know, I love wine. My dad loves wine, and I think there's there's the best start to the whole thing. So it's it's exciting. It's called Cobble Hill, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I hope I hope it's gonna I hope it's gonna be a success. You know, and and a lot of fun, I think too. 13,000 bottles. So by the time you lot have had your fill, there'll probably be about 50 left. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, this could be the problem with my family. Um, I have never seen anyone drink so much Whispering Angel as you and your pals. And we sat around (laughs) clam chowder, oysters. (laughs) Yes. um, When Whispering Angel started following me on Instagram, I realised I'd hit a new moment in my my career. Absolutely. Well, that reminds me, you see, you know, we've been talking, you've been saying about clients coming to me to say, to, and, and, it, and that's very telling. Can you, you know, imagine a few years ago, you were like going around saying, who can I get to be a client of, who will possibly take me on? And now you have these people coming to you and you basically decide whether or not they're fit for it. It's quite amazing. Yeah, look, I think, um, I think there's also association with other beautiful properties. So if you're very, um, sort of strict and about your client list 
it's a bit like a honeypot, you know, other hotels want to be associated with the Bristol Paris or Hotel du Cap or mm. Singita or whatever they are. So I think you, if you're really um, meticulous about how you develop your business, it's all based on trust, right? It's trust. Do you, as a journalist, trust me? Does the consumer trust what we're selling? Do you trust our social media and our tone yes. of voice? And, yeah. and ultimately, does the client trust us that we're going to work with similar like-minded company? I mean, I'm not interested in the huge brands, the Ritz Carltons, the inter, you know, the, those sort of big companies. They're not my thing. No, I love I love something kind of independent that's got where I've got direct access to an owner, and that's quite a small world actually. So word luckily seems to have got round that we do a decent enough job, um, and that we we think commercially and we think long term, and we're with our clients, you know, for the future. Um, and that has led to an amazing moment where we do get calls about incredible new properties um, and we don't have to go searching for new business. I mean, obviously, this is a weird time because yeah, yeah, of the sure. situation that we're in. But I, I really feel by the autumn, we're going to be we're going to be stronger and better than ever and um, back to a really you know, financially strong position, because ultimately this hasn't been the best of uh, 12 months. Yeah. <laughs> To put it mildly, no. Why do you think I'm making <laughs> podcasts? For God's sake! <laughs> 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 I thought, how can um, I make use of my contacts book? I know I'll just annoy them all for an hour and and make. Oh, something. do you know what? It's such a joy to sit and talk like this. I'm sitting on the most comfy sofa, and I'm just sort of reminiscing about gorgeous places. It's heaven. Yeah, well, that's what I like to do, and um, you know, there's nothing better. I mean, I, I like you. I presume spend hours and hours and hours on bloody Zoom, and whilst it's great um it's also really tiring and 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 i do a lot of hosting events and stuff in the evening and and sort of presenting um and interviewing various people for guests that are paid to to, to join in if you like and um and i love it and i you know and i love meeting new people and you know we might go do something like go live to a to a cigar factory in managua Nicaragua and then go live to a distillery in you know Perthshire or something and and that is brilliant but you come off very very drained don't you and um and so I really enjoy I enjoy the audio side because it's like having (laughs) just a phone chat oh my god especially when you're by the way eight and a half months pregnant there would be nothing there's like nothing worse than staring at yourself in zoom you know through zoom for hours on end you just literally sit there going oh god that bit I didn't even have that a month ago what's happened (laughs) um I think, look, I can't wait to get back to those face-to-face meetings. You achieve so much more. I mean, people go, business travel's not coming back for years. Oh, of course it's coming back. You achieve more through a face-to-face meeting, even if you have to fly to New York to do the bloody thing, than you do through, through 20 Zoom calls. And, you know, to sit around the table with a glass of wine and brainstorm ideas and go for a walk with someone and see them face to face is is absolutely like, you know, invaluable. Um, and I find, as you say, like staring at the monotony of emails and Zoom and emails and Zoom and emails and Zoom. I mean, I think I did on Monday, I think I did 11 Zoom calls and yeah. I just felt so physically exhausted afterwards. You know, I'm not in the mood to talk to anyone else. No, You know, I'm, I haven't spoken to friends in a civilized way for months because I'm so exhausted when I come off these calls, you know. There's no energy for it, is there? Of course there isn't. Um, So, yeah, I think 
you know, I personally just cannot wait. And I'm hoping post babe, when I come back, um, that, that we'll be back in the office, um, you know, that I'll get to see my team, that we can have proper brainstorms. You know, it's obviously going to be a, a, a rough couple of months, but, you know, I'm just hoping post lockdown that we'll all be able to just get some face-to-face time again, you know? Hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I was thinking of while you were talking about, you know, the reasons you've explained why you seem to hit the sweet spot in various points of the business. And I think one of those is also... I could echo from a sort of press perspective. And 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 when you get to ripe old age like me, you've been on a million press trips, all of them memorable, some of them not for the right reasons. Sure. Um, and you know as well as I do that, uh, you know, the same detail and um, trust applies when you're on a press trip. And, and for those that don't know how it works, basically people, reporters, feature writers, editors, whatever, cameramen filmmakers get invited to go on a press trip and do a very you know something it may be about the hotel it may be about the food the region normally it's a combination of all those things um, and the PR's job is to make sure you like mother hen arrive at, in one piece you don't go off get too drunk and do something too outrageous which some journalists I hasten to add would do of course not my good self <laughs> um, and uh, and you get you know fed some stuff that they hope their clients will come across well and everyone goes home happy that's the sort of basis of it um but many prs really overplay their hand and you know you, your heart sinks when you get somewhere and you get handed this itinerary and it says 6 a.m meet for breakfast with managers 7 30 a.m off to so and so two hours drive and then you're going to do this and that and then it goes on till eight o'clock night dinner and then you think, oh, my God, you're being flogged to death. And the beauty of Jules's ones is that we just go for a finding mission. We have a laugh. And, of course, all that um, comes out in that you just have a great time, a really interesting, eye-opening time, and it comes across in the work. And I think you do that brilliantly. Oh, thanks. Well, look, I think it's about um, it's about finding things that interest people and then doing them in a, you know, in a way that doesn't feel like you're on a sort of group tour as well. It's like, yeah. like when we were in New England, you went off fishing. Some people yeah. were interested in, you know, the sort of high society of, of Rhode Island. Some people went off and did that. Some people we took to an architectural tour of a beautiful privately owned house. Like you just try and make it a bit more flexible and less rigid. I think, um, and and also never involve a tourism board who try and hijack the whole trip and take to the sort of crocodile breeding factory down the road. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, Nick, you, you of course you know the hilarious thing about press trips. The um, the the rule is that if there's always a nightmare on a press trip, and if you don't know who it is within the first forty eight hours, it's you. <laughs> so true as well oh my god the stories yeah I mean we had some horrors didn't we I mean I once I once went on a press trip where a journalist turned up and had brought their curtains with them and put them in the hotel's laundry service (laughs) oh god's sake no I mean absolutely I mean we had that journalist on that that New England one that didn't even leave her room for three yeah. days. I mean, so there, like, was, why a, you there was a person who were all main lameless who came on this most amazing trip. I can't tell you how great it was and decided that well, she didn't really need to see that, didn't really want to do that, probably just pick up the press release and stayed in her room in this gorgeous place. Um, 
using the washing machine, I believe, Jules, wasn't it? Yeah, she did. I don't know what it is about journalists and washing. I mean, it's like, it's absolutely hilarious. You couldn't make it up. When you decide to write your book, I want to write it because those stories, man, these are the oh ones that you can print. <laughs> well, I have, I actually, every time I travel, I've got a diary and I scribble stuff down and sometimes oh, really? I read stuff back and I just cry with laughter at some of the crazy things that have happened that's a um, great idea we could it could be a brilliant well i mean the stories people wouldn't believe I, no they wouldn't that's the problem they wouldn't actually believe it could be possibly true absolute debauchery of the highest order <laughs> so funny oh. no, i was so lucky i mean this is the weird thing though you know you get you might not have met half these people you're traveling with and suddenly you're in this kind of amazingly intimate yeah. like incredible environment and you're like within three days you'll literally feel like you're 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 with your best friends um or not at all you know yeah. and you might have the opposite exactly. you might have a total clash with this person so it's 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 a very odd thing but it's i love it it's so brilliant and it brings it brings out in many ways um the worst best and worst of people doesn't it because those people that come away quite often fit, you know can be quite sort of um what's the word hard to please i suppose um and they think they're on you know because they're on a junket that they should get whatever they want whenever they want it next thing you know they start flouncing around acting like bloody elizabeth burton or something and they're having affairs with waiters and waitresses and each other and <laughs> it's like a bloody film set isn't it yeah totally it's um yeah, I mean, I remember um, doing a press trip to Lech in Austria. It was a really fun trip. It was more like a bit of a gaggle of my favourite girls. And this one journalist announced on arrival that she really, her favourite pastime was was sleeping with hotel staff. Oh, my and God. And I was like, oh, my God. And I had to go and tell the owner to, like, brief her team that they should all just stay you know, away. keep, stay away. And, that they, you know, just be careful. But it was just, like, the most extraordinary thing. We walked into the hotel and there she was going, I just love to um, get my way with, oh with hotel staff. Oh, my God. Jesus. Have you ever had to take someone aside and really give them a, a rollicking? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, like, a lot. A really? lot. You know, bad behaviour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being rude or not yeah. turning up stuff. Like, you know, as you say, I, we're pretty flexible with our itineraries and they're pretty chilled out. But, like, if there's meeting an owner or somebody who's just hosted you for five days in their gorgeous hotel yeah. and has put on, you know, their private boat to take you here or opened up their home or something to you and they just don't turn up. Oh. Yeah, it's, it is it is shocking. Um, And that's not, I'm not saying that that's, that's that happens a lot but it happens enough that you're yeah. like wow um and just general bad manners um and i'm not afraid manners. i'm not afraid to say that's people no i could I, imagine I you can be a quite quite good stern give some <laughs> the, I, and that head. makes me go cold jules because you know what that makes me think of <laughs> what what so bloody, i'm going to tell this story very briefly now so we fly <laughs> to new england uh I can't remember what the exact travel arrangements were, but we got there. You know what I'm going to say now, don't you? And, um, and I, we got there, and I think it was early in the morning, or maybe we just got, no, we got there late at night. And so we crashed out a few hours kick, and then we were getting up to meet for breakfast. And, and I got up, woke up very, very early from the jet lag. You know now, don't you? And oh, my then, God. And I thought, bugger it, I'm awake. I'm going to go for a swim in the in the sea. And it was rough as arseholes. I thought, no, no, I'm a Brit abroad. I'm going to go out. I feel, I feel amazing. So I go off with 
and a couple of people saw me going down, gave me a funny look. What on earth is this bloody Englishman doing? Wandering Crazy down, like, Brit. Yeah, crashed into the sea, got smashed to pieces, came back, thought, wow, oh, blimey, I've got myself dressed, ready. And then I thought, oh, well, Christ, I've still got half an hour. So I sat in the armchair and, of course, I fell asleep. And then a most absolutely mortifyingly, the first bloody event we were doing was having a meeting to say hello and, and say hello to the, the hotel manager and stuff. And the first thing I remember is someone banging on the door. Oh, and I saying, where are you? I felt so terrible. Yes, but Nick, the thing is, we knew you were so polite that you weren't doing it on purpose. What we were worried about is you'd gone for a swim and been eaten by a bloody shark. Oh, yes, you thought a great white might have got me, didn't Yes, you? I mean... You know, the, the waters of New England and all the rest of it, Not it's not unusual to see, you know, or hear some sort of crazy story. And so all everybody had seen you go out and no one had seen you come back. So we were literally like, oh, my God, we've, lo we've lost him. We've lost him to the sea. He's only been with us a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, George. That, that actually reminds me of it. I did a... I did a um, one of my first press trips I ever did to the Maldives um, and I had a group of wedding journalists and it was a sort of very fluffy, you know, very, very easy trip. And we arrived in this beautiful hotel and this one journalist got to her Overwater Villa. She walked through off to her beautiful terrace to dip her toe in the water to see how, what the temperature was. And a shark no. came up and bit her toe and took her baby toe off. You're kidding no, I'm not kidding. And I got a call. I literally was like unpacking my bag. Oh One my of the first questions I've ever done to say, um, Julia, can you come and help us? This journalist has been attacked by a shark. I mean, look, it was a reef shark. She was just dipping her toe in, but it was a big enough reef shark that it actually took her baby toe off. Oh. And we had to get her airlifted to Marley. Oh. She, and I mean, but also, you know, how unfortunate yeah, honeymoon journalist and, and Maldives. I mean, it's the safest place you could ever think of going. So, I mean, honestly, I'd laugh at it, the whole thing now. It's, oh, it's, it's actually girl. nice. And I remember the editor calling me up, going, because we managed to get her home. And the editor called me, going, like, do you mind if we don't write about this? We don't feel that it's one for honeymoon. I was like, please don't write about it. Oh my oh, god! She, she, did you ever deal with her again? No. Funny that. <laughs> she left the, she left the bridal market soon after that i think oh my god <laughs> so funny oh listen i cannot wait cannot wait to see you, your smiling face and uh and oh. go somewhere with you even if it's just for a pint in the pub um thank you so much for joining us i've had thank such a lovely you. laugh with you and i wish you all the best with your little bouncing baby Oh um, yeah, and good luck Thank with you. The, you know with the future and everything. I'm sure, being the person you are, you will be on top of things. Thank you. Yeah, you know what? I feel very um positive about the future. It's just get it's just getting through the next few months. So I think we'll all be in you know we'll all be in good shape but um but thank you i've really enjoyed this what a delight a, an hour off a zoom call and just chatting away about the things i love and reminiscing heaven beautiful thanks jules do you take care of yourself and you nick lots of love bye bye there you have it a lovely chat with jules bless you jules and uh, i'm very happy to report to my listeners that since we spoke, Julia and her husband, uh, Julia and her partner, should I say, Russ, have um, had a beautiful baby boy. Um, and all are well, I can report. So 
all our love and best wishes to Jules and Russ and of course to Freddy to lovely Freddy um I hope you enjoyed that chat and that escapade and uh, a little chance to think about wonderful places that we can't visit at the minute but we will and it's always nice to daydream isn't it um let me tell you about a few things happening uh i must mention to you that the audiobook of around the world in 80 cigars the book is uh if not up on my website by now will be very shortly um and it's only 4.99 you simply let us know you'd like it and we will send you a copy. Five plus hours of me <laughs> in your ear hole. What more could you possibly wish for? It'll make a lovely gift. It's great to listen to when you're walking the dog, going to work in the morning, stick it on your phone, um, pop it in your ears when you're on the train or the bus and let me carry you on a journey with me. Uh, I must thank Rutherford's, one of my sponsors, um, behind me right from the get-go. Uh, and Rutherford's uh, are a beautiful company up in Cheshire uh, with remarkable skills in English bridal leather. They sell a lot of their um, superb work abroad, particularly big in the Far East. Uh, Japan, there's some shops there, some exquisite uh, gentlemen's shops there that sell lots and lots and lots of Rutherford's goods. Um, and it is these expertise and masters at Rutherford's that allow Leggett's, the company that I have become involved with, uh, with the Nick Hammond, uh, the Leggett's X Nick Hammond collection, um, they allow us to then offer to you some of these remarkable leather products that we're slowly getting to grips with and getting up on the website. Uh, and as for example, now we have some of our new card holders which are on there in really beautiful colours. Check those out. Have a look at the Leggett's website, www.leggett's.com. And of course, on the website was our launch product uh, in the Leggett's X Nick Hammond collection, the Oriental Cigar Gin, blended by me, specifically to be enjoyed with a great cigar. If that's your thing, you will love it if you're not into cigars, but you like everything else. You like the travel, the lifestyle, interesting people and places. You will still love the gin because I humbly submit to you that it is bloody marvellous. Uh, and a little tip, if you do uh, buy yourself a, a little bottle of the gin, we have uh, sampler bottles. We have now a sort of uh, medium bottle coming out, 30 centilitres, I think it is, uh, which is a nice size to try, or the full bottle. If you do try it, um, from my perspective, I would ask that you perhaps put either your mini bottle or a couple of drams worth in the fridge or freezer a couple of hours before you first uh, taste it. And I think that really gives you a great chance to just sip the gin, pure gin, um, before you pour anything in it. You might like your gin and tonics, you might like your martinis, you might like your various cocktails. Uh, and I think this lends itself beautifully to those. But try it first neat. And you'll get a real impression of what I was trying to create with this soft, rounded, intriguing and spicy gin. Uh, to remind you that if you haven't had enough of me yet, I'm sure you have. But if you haven't, I am with Lawrence Davis of Souter Cigars every Tuesday and every Friday live on Instagram at 6pm. Come and join our community. We have such a laugh. Very informal, occasionally rude, lots of fun. 
Uh, and Lawrence and I tend to have a cigar and a drink and shoot the breeze about what's happening, what we're up to, um, what's good and what's hot and what's not. On Friday, we have a cigar quiz uh, and people from all over the world join us, take part, have a laugh for 6 p.m. Friday, your week's done. Come and have a cocktail with us. I normally have a slug of, uh, of Oriental cigar gin to kickstart my weekend and uh, you can win some free cigars if you take part in the uh, in the quiz and do well. I've set it harder and harder recently because Lawrence has given away thousands and thousands of pounds worth of cigars. But come and join us, great fun. Um, and we also have lots of Souter events coming up as well. So do remember to check out Souter on the Insta um, and Twitter. That's uh, S-A-U-T-T-E-R, SouterCigars.com on the web. I think that's it for now, folks. Wishing you all the best. Keep on cracking on be positive, stay safe, and most of all, look after each other. All the best. Mm-hmm.